You're listening to Dads, Diapers, and Drinks. Three dads trying to lead their families well in a crazy world. So grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to Dad's Diapers and Drinks. I'm your host, Scott. And I'm Nathan. And I'm Jeff. And we are back uh, after, well, it hasn't been very long for you. It's been, we recorded a marathon a episode. <laughs> we recorded a marathon episode last time, which uh, you just heard part two of last week. And uh, yeah, we took a little time off after that one. That was a, that was a late night. So we did some <laughs> planning and uh, we've got like the next... 10 episodes all planned out at least we yeah with the topics we're feeling we're feeling official yeah, on top like of things getting all prepared for once <laughs> what's going on <laughs> um so uh let me start my timer i keep forgetting to do that stopwatch <laughs> and go all right keeping track of the time this time uh so nathan and i are drinking tin cup once again once this again. time on the rocks yes on the melted rocks <laughs> The the because it's they, warm they are now <laughs> melted rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's a stupid heat wave here in Cleveland. Probably. It's like ninety today. It's gonna be ninety tomorrow, and oppressively humid. Yeah, I really love it inside so, of a hangar. It's great. Yeah, I'm you're sure. standing in front of a fan oh, and it's just a hair dryer. You're like, thanks. <laughs> blazing hot air. You're just moving the hot air around. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I walked nine holes yesterday and it was oh. brutal. I also walked nine holes yesterday, and it was also brutal. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I played well, so it was worth nice. it. Nice. So did I, which I did not I was, uh, see coming. I'm, I'm working on my, my short game. I'm changing my short game swing. And I I legitimately pulled a 52-degree wedge 20 feet back on landing. What? I hit down on it so freaking hard. I was like, I'm <laughs> spinning crazy. the crap out of this ball. <laughs> and it landed at the it. pin, and I had a 25-foot putt. Wow! I nice. ripped the thing back, and I was like, was "That's this, the spin I've been wanting." It's a bit more than I wanted. Was like, this at uh, <laughs> Was this at Fowler's? Yeah, it was at Fowler's. Nice. Which hole was it? It was the uh, one, two, three, four, fifth hole. Okay. I hit a perfect three wood to the top of the hill on the left. If yep. you've ever played the Maple Course at Fowler's, <laughs> and then I hit it up to the green. Pin was in the back, 130 yard gap wedge, and I freaking I was like, "I'm spinning, the, I'm hitting down to this and spinning the crap out of it," and I did. Wow! And I just like. If you're a golfer, that is the most satisfying thing when you're like, I'm going to hit this shot, and then you do it. And you're like, yes. Yeah. I had so happy with myself. <laughs> so I was playing completely by myself yesterday, and it took mm. five holes for the foursome in front of me to finally acknowledge my presence <laughs> and let me pass them. The best. You're like, I'm and walking, was, and I'm fast. And I was, yeah. Oh, it was so bad. And uh, so they finally waited for me to finish up on the green, and I teed off in front of them, and I was a little bit little bit of anger in that swing and i absolutely pulverized this this three wood <laughs> yeah dead straight missile and uh then i was like thanks just walk up walk walking up there now. yeah the worst and feeling is when feeling. you're playing through and then you shank it into the woods <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you gotta go on for the ball just like hacking at the, the bushes yeah. <laughs> i've i've definitely done that before too uh, hey do you mind if i play through Okay, I gotta wait twenty minutes while I find my golf ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been working uh, on my straight game recently because I'm not very good at that yet. I am the yeah. novice of all golfers as it pertains to the three of us for sure. But yeah, yeah. 
We should uh, we should get you get you hitting into my golf net out there. Yeah, I, I know. Do, do some slow mo yeah. swings. We can get a little little lesson going or something. I don't know. Exactly. That's uh, I hit into the net all the time now, just to keep Davis occupied because he does much better outside. Mm-hmm. He's there's just a lot more things to grab his attention. Um. So I don't know. We we have a thousand toys for him now, but he doesn't like any of them. And oh, uh, right. It's uh, is that the best? He's just uh, in this phase of needing nonstop attention and entertainment and mm. it's difficult to continue to provide him that um so yeah bringing him outside has some success so yeah, it's good for me yeah. i just hit golf balls into the net and he just plays on his blanket and it's all good so man can't complain and there i was i was hitting into I, I don't have a net though i should probably get one because i would totally use it a lot but i was hitting into my uh my dad's golf net our dad's golf net over the weekend and my daughter loves it because she's two and she loves to run in and she lets you hit the like three or four golf balls you have. Then she runs in and collects them and brings them back to you. She like play fetch with her. <laughs> this she is loves the best. it. It's great. And she, also <laughs> goes, them. she also goes like, wow, every time you hit it. Yeah. <laughs> you feel yeah. really good. You're like, so yeah, this is like a mini PGA. <laughs> yeah. I like, the, I like the gallery here. Uh, Lots yeah. of support from the crowd. <laughs> well, that's fun stuff. Yeah. Any any updates from either of you two in the past week and a half? Mm. Well, you're a bachelor at the moment. Uh, yeah, I am. Is... I am currently batching it up. The after wife the is... crazy spirit problem, oh, yeah, the word. Spirit Airlines. Yeah, we during our planning session, my wife's flight on on Spirit Air got canceled the day before she leaves, and then even further fiasco. She goes to purchase another t- ticket, which she believed was for the next day. And it was like $58 or something, like absurdly cheap. And she's like, sweet. Turns out it was not for the next day. It was for the next day of the next week. So instead of Monday, it would be Tuesday, but not Tuesday the next day, but of next week. (laughs) So then she had to try and cancel it. And there was like this whole fiasco. But she ended up, she's going to be gone. She's currently backpacking right now in uh, Pennsylvania. And then she's going to be going to Naples to see her cousin. So she gets to go into vacation without me, and I have to stay home and make the money. Bummer. Take care of <laughs> I'm not bitter. Not not even a little bit. <laughs> no. Um, no, I'm really glad because she's, you know, her whole school situation is different. She has, like, extended school year. So all through the summer, she's still teaching. But there's, like, these small breaks right at the beginning of the summer and at the end. So she has, like, two weeks off Mm -hmm. so i'm like yeah go enjoy yourself (laughs) yeah i don't know when we'll get to that point where kelsey can go on a vacation by herself Mm -hmm. that would mean leaving me with davis you might need to be (laughs) i don't know we've got enough milk stockpiled where i could bottle feed them the whole time Mm -hmm. um I was actually on my own with Davis this past Friday night and all day Saturday because Kelsey was at a scrapbooking retreat. Mm. So that was my first time being completely by myself with him. And it was a long day. Long freaking day. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, Understanding achieved. I've done full weekends with just Kelly, just me and her. Yeah. Where Ellen traveled to Columbus with her sister and her mom Mm -hmm. for a weekend and I was just me and Kelly. And... She was like a year and a half at the time, and that that was fine. I think over a year it really changes because once they get over a year old, you can just give them a f- plate of food and they'll eat it. Yeah. And as soon as you don't have to worry about like complicated meal plans or anything like that, you just say, "Hey, 
I don't know, make her a sandwich and she'll <laughs> eat it. Yeah. It, it makes it like, what are you guys doing over there? No, uh, sorry. Our coasters are sticking to our glasses and then they keep falling off because they're not very heavy. And I was like, ah, Scott, I'll show you how to do it. And then I literally followed suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never even said, I'm actually drinking a, a Fireball Moscow Mule, mm. which mm. is my, my wife's favorite drink. And really? she decided to make them tonight. So wow. I'm enjoying. Definitely. Excellent. So let's move into the topic now because uh, we, yeah. we've developed a habit of, of going long on these. So mm-hmm. this week we're going to talk about the value of work. Yes. And this is going to be inspired by a video that Nathan showed us. Yes. Uh, it is Mike Rowe mm-hmm. of Dirty Jobs Hosting Fame, among other things. Yeah. Uh, the video, which we'll put in a link so that you guys can get a hold of it and watch the whole thing, but it's the title of it is how we set up the workforce for failure, which, you know, that kind of covers what they're saying, but for the purposes of this podcast, the, uh, the value of work made a lot more sense from what we're going to be talking about. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the three of us, um, we, we all, we work. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we work. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> what happens when you uh, come unprepared into a, yeah. into a recording. Um, um, well, actually, here's a here's a good way to start. I like starting off with uh, I got this first point. You know, um, what happens when you take the art out of work or out of a thing altogether? When you take something that's supposed to be a vocation, you get modern rap music. <laughs> Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> ah, uh, roasted. <laughs> roasted. Or hip-hop or yeah. any other garbage music. <laughs> Pretty much anything popular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like, what do you get? What do you have left when you take the art out of, you know, what you do? Or what, yeah. or what your work is? Or what your passion is, per se? Yeah, but... It's I a feel lot like it of, just makes life bleak. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's a lot of meaning and beauty behind what you're doing if there's an art artistic uh aspect of it. Yeah. It's uh, the value isn't just tied to its monetary it's it's not just a monetary value, it's not mm-hmm. just a like how am I contributing to society value. It's a it's something you can't really quantify. Well but it's something that we all notice when it's missing mm-hmm. so an example Go i just ahead. got a tree taken down from my front yard mm-hmm. i've had a big dead tree in my yard and we got it taken down this week and it is so satisfying and i was almost envious of the workers that mm-hmm. their daily job actually one of them was friends with um they were friends with the ringers family oh, so ellen's yeah. wow. out there chatting with them i was like oh yeah i know we go to the church over here fellowship bible church and she's like Oh, do you know Christy Ringers? And almost like I lived with her for a year and a half. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're real friends. So they're like chatting it up. This is hilarious. Anyway, that's wild. That aside, but they show up and there's this ugly dead tree, mm-hmm. and they systematically cut this thing down and take it away and leave the place looking better than they found it. And that's their day every day mm-hmm. is improving something. Every day you leave your workplace going, this looks better than it did before I arrived. Yeah. I was like, how nice is that feeling just to like my day today was a bunch of monotonous garbage 
of yeah. like writing documentation and reviewing stuff. It's like, I didn't leave anything better than I found it. I left today yeah. more frustrated than when I entered. <laughs> Started crap, ended crap. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but they show up and go, hey, look, this is improved now. It's yeah. Like, That's so nice. I just, yeah. enjoy, I like the idea of that a lot. <laughs> I feel like there's also a misconception to the idea of art. Like everyone believes, like it's so easy to believe that art is like music or painting or pottery or, you know, a creative thing, right? But art, I don't truly believe is entirely relegated to specifically those items. I mean, you can have an artistic expression by the quality of what you do. Like the nature, like you could say that you could do, you know, I could cut down a tree for instance, right? Or you could cut down a tree in an art in an artful way in the sense that it had very good precision and quality and you didn't damage the surrounding structure. You planned ahead. You did all the extra that is required to do to such a good job that you're just like amazed that someone can even do that thing, even though it has nothing to do with a creative endeavor, but it's just doing it creatively well, and effectively. And doing it, yeah. Doing it just that the, this way that's the satisfying way of doing of solving yeah. a problem. I mean, like, you could build something, for instance, with your hands. Like, I could build a chair. But there is carpenters, true artists with wood that can build a beautiful chair that is breathtaking, that you're, like, astounded at, and you just want to, like, look at it, and you're like, I don't even understand how you did that. But yeah. I can put it together, and there's going to be screws all around it, and it'll probably give you butt splinters, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. that's the difference, <laughs> you know, when you have art. It's like you can actually strip the value out of work that you do purely by removing the art from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, There's this interesting thing of, like, it's important It's important that you actually observe beauty. Mm -hmm. And there was, some, there was the Trump policy that was requiring all buildings all new buildings that were going to be created to be created in the roman style like the capitol and the white house oh okay and i don't know if that is still standing or if that got revoked when when biden came in i don't i'm not sure mm -hmm. but the idea was let's not make more cement block buildings mm -hmm. let's spend the extra money to make nice buildings yeah because it actually it actually just matters to put the money there to, to do something like that because it's important that you don't just want to build for function all the time. Building for function can be nice and useful, but sometimes it's actually nice to have something beautiful in the end. Yeah, well, that's what and all that of, we should we should actually value that. That's what all of mod modern architecture became. It was like let's make the most structurally efficient and structurally sound yeah buildings that we can. Like minimalism. Yeah, but they all look the same, mm -hmm. and there's nothing. It's a rectangle with windows on it. Yeah, is what is what you get. Right. And one of the, I've never traveled to Europe, but that is one of the things I'm really looking forward to someday mm -hmm. when I do. We're talking about doing it next summer. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but seeing the architecture, just, and also understanding just how old all of it is mm -hmm. and how much people were able to do with their bare hands with not, without technology. The um, amount of labor that goes into stuff. The amount like of that. labor, yeah. 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 So art is having an artistic aspect of your work is very important. And as the video um, that we linked, mm -hmm. uh, as Mike Rowe describes, um, 
we have been very slowly removing the art from the work that we're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to no, and add just, more to that. Just the the whole idea that, you know, removing, you know, art from vocation as a whole, you know, and just having it just be work. Here's your means to obtain money. You're an HVAC guy, you know, just slap some vents in there. doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how you did it. You know, it doesn't matter how clean your code is. It doesn't matter what your circuit board looks like. Just get it on there. It's like, it's mm-hmm. literally a war on craftsmanship. It's just like, it doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to care fundamentally. It's like, it doesn't matter. Just be more efficient, cost us less money. That's the only thing that matters now. Yeah. Right. The funny thing about the, like, like, like HVAC as an example, I've they're just never, this is an area I've never thought of. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, I know HVAC, basically you get a schematic from a, an architect saying this is the way the HVAC is supposed to be done, whatever, and then you're supposed to go do it. But yeah. I know from the building project my parents are doing at their small business mm-hmm. that the HVAC guy came in and said, oh, I could do this a better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could do it this way and it would be cheaper and better. Yeah. It just, like, how, I don't know, to be able to come in and say, hey, I have an eye for this and I'm going to do this the best way. I'm going to do this mm-hmm. a better way. I'm going to think through this and go, this is, let's do that. It's just that, it, I don't know. Well, I, I hate that that, that that would get squashed. That people can't just show up and, and give it their all yeah. on their own terms. Yeah. And it's also something that I feel like you really notice inside of the vacuum of it. Like, when it's not present, it is super overt, as opposed to when it's just done correctly, right? What could be perceived as just correct, it kind of goes unnoticed. I mean, even in a lot of like production things, especially from all the tech stuff that we've done with church and the the music and like live streaming and all of the things that are like super intensive that people have no idea how difficult it actually is to pull off. Yeah. And yet if it goes perfectly, the best you can hear is no comment. Exactly. <laughs> like yes. that's that's the pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. No. Especially in the in the worship context, mm-hmm. the thing that frustrates me is when you hear like the argument of, I hear this all the time from Catholic people, especially Matt Walsh and uh, Michael Knowles. They'll talk about how modern like evangelical worship music is this crappy downgraded version of regular music. Yeah, and how they're so happy that their Catholic music is just the traditional Catholic music, mm-hmm. and. The thing that I hate about this argument is they just admit failure in artistic value. They just go, yeah, so because we can't do art as well as other people, we just don't try at all. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, you think it's not worth it for us to put effort into our worship, into our stage, into our lights, into all the things Mm -hmm. to make it beautiful to the best of our abilities? Is there not just value in doing that? And just trying to say, we're going to do a church service, but we're going to try to make it look nice. We're going to try to make it good. We're going to try to make everything nice looking and flow because why would we not? Well, and there's value in these things. You also want to give people who are particularly skilled in those different technical areas an opportunity to use their gifts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you invest in technology and you, you don't want... Uh, from the, this is from the church's perspective. You don't want 
you don't want a low quality thing. Like, what's the point of doing it if you're not going to give it your best? So, like, if you have the technology, use it to its full potential. If you have talented musicians, use them to their full potential. If you have a talented sound guy, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no point in half half butting it. <laughs> For lack of a better term. Half, half measures. I would have said. We don't want no single cheeks over here. Give I would two have, cheeks. <laughs> I would have said this whale, but. I was talking about church, so I was like, eh, it doesn't... Uh, that'd be bad context. Either. Don't want to hmm. half a church. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that's also the whole concept of just... Just half-assing it all together. <laughs> like, like genuinely. <laughs> right. Like, there's yeah, really... Well, that's, like, I don't know else, how else to put it, honestly. <laughs> and that's a lot of... So, my very first job out of college mm-hmm. was in the construction industry i was a quote-unquote electrical engineer Mm -hmm. is nothing like what i do now it was not hardware related it was me essentially specifying electrical electrical equipment that is going to be installed inside of commercial buildings so i would say you need to put outlets here 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 here, connected to this panel and you need to put lights here 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 connected to this circuit on the panel Mm -hmm. and um it's like you just fall asleep that's what drove me nuts about it (laughs) Is I'm a I am a creative at heart, yeah, and I could not stand the monotony and the just same thing. Like I had a cheat sheet for everything. If the building is this square footage, it means you need this many circuits in the panel, you need this much wattage, and all, all this crap. It was mm-hmm. all it was all all the thinking had been done for me already, and I was just following a a cheat sheet every yeah. every day. And the architects pretty much the same thing like they're designing another school it's another hospital it's got to have this stuff this stuff this stuff and so the the create the creative part of it was just missing entirely and the the entire industry is like that now and i couldn't i couldn't stand that so and that's i guess where i'm going with this is kind of the uh and i'm, I'm gonna get to bill gates's thing with like there's not one right answer in math. Like yeah. you, you don't want to reward kids for um, only getting the right answer is that's kind of where going for the right answer has gotten us in construction in architecture. Yeah. You we've, we've perfected, it, we've perfected everything. We've made everything as scientifically um, optimized as possible. So, yeah. An example of this is we have hit peak car. The, the, the first idea, the first time I heard this idea was peak cars and then peak cell phones. Okay. And now peak computers. Right. Like there there hasn't been a great innovation in computing in a decade. Like since because the in Pentium? 2011 we had <laughs> laptops that were plenty powerful for any person at home who isn't a hardcore gamer or software developer. Yeah. That was perfect. And it's like we still make them and it's like yeah, they're better but really it's so minute it doesn't matter and the phones have been mm-hmm. great the the fourth generation of smartphones like 2015 mm-hmm. till now yeah there's barely a difference they're slightly yeah. better but it's like not really a little they're smoother fine. a little crispier a little yeah. more storage that's well, they, about it like we we've really i mean the past decade we've kind of really hit this ceiling of oh i guess this is as good as any of that thinking gets right i think that's because of it's interesting it's called moore's law mm-hmm. the, the number of actual transistors you can fit on a chip used to double every year or something like that but now they've the technology is pretty much plateaued and you're we're like at capacity <laughs> pretty much huh. um, there's only so, so much physical space <laughs> right you, you can't and f- cell phones they can't really get any bigger than they are currently yeah so, no 
um, you're, you're pretty much uh, with the mechanical restrictions that we have for our cell phones, like they have to fit mm-hmm. in a pocket. We're pretty much at the technology, the extent of the technology. So yeah, I don't know why they keep coming up with new phones every year. Like I, <laughs> money, consumerism. Newsflash: <laughs> You don't need the brand new iPhone. Stop. It's the same as the last one. Well, yeah, it's the same as the last one. See, that's that is the interesting thing when you, I feel like, specifically when Steve Jobs was around, Apple has always strived to not just make something that's good, and as as much as Apple is somewhat behind. From a technological standpoint, I mean, when they were first started, they weren't. They were the leaders. No, they were essentially. Kind of but considering where like technology is now, you know, they're not really like the top. But they have always strived to make a beautiful thing. Like a MacBook Pro is objectively like that is a beautiful piece yes. of machinery. Like it's just it's they just were objectively ahead good. Of the curve on that, for yeah. Sure. And so, like, I mean, a lot of their stuff, even like this keyboard that Scott has, it's like one solid piece of aluminum. It's got these, all of the like keys are so nicely like placed. The contrast is awesome. It's mm-hmm. like someone truly put effort into making yes. that. It wasn't just slapped together. Apple products look very good. Yes, they really do. Yeah. And they perform well. Well, the thing is, is speaking to they what you were okay. talking about, <laughs> um, with your job, where you don't have to say, but your previous job where you're working for the construction company. <laughs> yeah. I thought better of that. Is, I've name dropped my, <laughs> I, I don't intend to, but oh, yeah. we shouldn't be dropping the names. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but the, you have to take risk if you're going to have something that is also creative and artistic. You can't just if it's yeah. if it's gonna be the same thing, if it's gonna look the same, it's you're just gonna, gonna do the next thing. It. You're there's you have to take a risk if you're gonna push anything forward. I mean, think about Elon Musk and electric cars; they didn't exist. Like people were like, "Yeah, there's it's it's feasibly like impossible," and he's like, "Well, I'll just mm-hmm. do it." No, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. like there's there is an unbelievable amount of risk that he had to undertake in order to make electric cars a reality. Mm-hmm. Like from and an infrastructure standpoint. If you see a Tesla on the road, you don't go, whoa. It's like, oh, here's a Tesla. Yeah, but they're also super good cars <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah. Like they're just really good cars as well. Um, yeah, or like uh, with SpaceX, landing the first stage rocket back oh. on the freaking Earth. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, like it's the like whole a, idea of being like... That was absolutely mind-blowing when I saw it the first time. They're like, Dude. everyone's like, yeah, we just launched the rockets and then they fall. Well, that's just easier. It's like, well, what if we just made it land? Like, it can't be that... Like, the, the technology isn't that advanced in order to be able to do that. You could probably do it it's on like, the power that you have, have on a smartphone. We have self-hovering drones, right? Yeah. Well, can't we just take that same logic and put it on a big thing? <laughs> Can we just do yeah. it? Technically, we could. <laughs> and then they Look did it. <laughs> Yeah, saving that was millions of dollars. And they reuse them. Yeah, yep. it used to be you launch your payload up into space, and then the the booster would just splash down into the ocean and mm-hmm. be ruined. But Elon was like, "That's a total waste. We're gonna land these on a drone ship in the ocean or back on the la- the launch pad. Now they can land them back on and land. <laughs> we're gonna reuse it uh-huh. and save millions of dollars." I, was, I watched a documentary a about creative this eye to see that. And he, they said it only cost them about sixty-five to eighty thousand dollars per launch, because they yeah. don't what? lose rockets anymore, and thousand? that's the cost of fuel. Yes, yeah, sixty-eight, th- sixty-five to eighty thousand dollars of fuel. 
That's the I only expense. I thought that would be in the millions well, for sure. This is the thing: is all their, it used to be all their rockets and boosters as well are not. They're no longer designed to do it once. So it's not the yeah. thinnest amount of metal. It's not the smallest margin. It's like we've got twenty five backups built into this thing, and it's going to be launched twenty five times, no problem. But it's going to cost instead of you know a hundred thousand dollars to make it, it's going to cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But guess what? We can launch it twenty five times. So right. Or yeah. it's because technically ten thousand per launch. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't lose boosters, it's like yes, all the upfront cost that's gone. They've already spent it, and now it's just we have a hundred of these things, and then we just keep launching them. Yeah, and guess yeah, what? We like, only pay for fuel, and that's about yeah, sixty five thousand. They have a fleet of rockets now that mm-hmm. never go bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like like what? <laughs> oh, it's just amazing. So amazing. Yeah, it's. And the, yeah, the amount of risk, he used his own money to like bail SpaceX out maybe 10, 15 years ago. So I was, so in this documentary I watched, it's on Disney plus. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Cool. They were talking about how he had enough money when he started SpaceX, he had enough money for two launches and the second launch, the first launch exploded on, on takeoff. The second launch move, exploded it? <laughs> when it tried to land on the way down to just smashing the ground and blew up. And they said, well, that was it. That's all the money you, you had. And he's like, uh, I could sell some stuff and we could do a third. That's uh, screw it. We'll do it. So he sold some stock in his company and did a third. And the third landed. And he was like, oh, my God, we're going to do this. That's all he needed. <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. What like, would he have he done li- if it? Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and people get so uh, people hate the 1% in this country, but they're the ones taking on all the risk like they're yeah like they earn a lot a billion dollars to do this yeah there's a reason the ceo of any company is the person being paid the most because every decision they make affects the lives of everyone underneath them it's a hugely stressful position to be in so like you well i don't know you're envious of their money but you should not be envious of their their stress yeah (laughs) the the risk the risk they take on one quick aside on this before we should probably not dive into this topic. We're but, slowly segueing into yeah, the second I mean, point. I, I'm going to bring <laughs> yeah, us back anyway, in a second. But, yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing that blows my mind is, everyone, like, I've literally had the phrase said to me, you work so that your boss can, you know, drive a nice car. And I was like, I don't work so my boss can have nice stuff. I work because my boss pays me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know what the frick you think you're doing. Seriously? I work because yeah. they pay me. <laughs> That's exactly. the so I, do I can live. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're like, taking all of the risk right they're they're taking these huge amounts of risk obviously they're going to get the most payout but that's the whole thing risk reward and that's why it's just so important but you know it requires risk to accomplish great things and the idea of teaching our children to prioritize safety above all just completely kneecaps the importance of weighing risk in choices that they make in life i mean it reduces the overall capacity to think critically and live courageously you're just absolutely you're just cutting it off right at the pass. <laughs> you know, there's you you have no right. ability to truly, you know, live out any sort of passion that you could even have because you're trying to put safety instead of teaching our children to genuinely think critically and weigh risk. I mean, the pandemic is an ex- a terrific example of that oh, as gosh. a whole. Oh my lord. I mean, there's, there's I was a, just reading some stats a cavity there, but <laughs> I was reading some stats before this episode because it's what I do, and there was an there was an article that I just read. Um, I wish I, I don't have it pulled up anymore. 
But do you know the number of deaths due to extreme weather annually? Do you know what the number is? No, I'm curious. No. Do you it's know? It's five million people die every year due to extreme weather conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know how many people million? died from COVID in the past year? Five million? Less than Four that. million. Four million. You are more likely to die from being too cold than of COVID in the world right now. A whole now. bunch of people in Texas almost died from being too cold. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that uh, was the infrastructure. Actually the, crazy. Well, okay. The counter argument for that is that you could argue that the deaths caused by weather are unavoidable, whereas yeah. surviving a pandemic is more avoidable. Mm-hmm. You can take precautions. And but yeah, And that's the other difficult thing is that we did a whole bunch of things. Like a things occurred, decisions were made, it happened. How much of effect did that have? And how could you ever know without doing an exact parallel universe that decided to not do it? That's the that's <laughs> and the, observe I it. Know. That's the whole There's problem. no way to know. We've gone down this road of masking and locking down and mm-hmm. social distancing. And we'll never know what would have happened had none of these uh, policies been implemented. I mean, I believe but it had people some are so, effect. I'm sure it did, but I don't. I I still, in my gut, I feel like all like the pen, the virus has spread mm-hmm. way further than anyone has actually realized, because um, we only started tracking it in March of 2020, and mm-hmm. it, it's likely it was here, going everywhere months before that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, when did we arbitrarily decide to um, start counting the bodies? Start, start yeah. counting the bodies. Yeah. How how many people died from January 1st till the end of March of 2020 before we even of, counted the body. Yeah, of pneumonia or what we yeah. thought it was. Yeah. So, I don't it's, know. There's so much we don't know. It's impossible thing. Yeah. Well, the the big thing to me is it's, it's uh, of course, everyone who argues everything government COVID just, just takes the monocle, the moniker of like, we're the science people. And your point is literally there is no scientific method to test is this this isn't a repeatable theory. You can't exactly. say, okay, we'll introduce a new pandemic and do nothing and then compare the results. It's like, you can't, you can't do, do that. Yeah. yeah. This is a one-time event. We did something. We think it helped. We think it's good, but we can't repeat it or really measure how exactly good it was mm-hmm. ever. So you just kind of have to go on faith that it was good. I mean, and that's where the big tear in the culture is, is there's people who like, yeah, won't do it. It just, I, I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt. I don't think your I don't think your efforts did anything to help. Mm-hmm. I think it pretty much only hurt. Right. I mean, so, so on an emotional level, sorry, Scott. It's okay. <laughs> on an emotional level, personally, uh, there is that gut feeling that you're talking about, where it's like, you know, I don't even know, and I, there's a lot of me that just is like, okay, I can trust, but like, it doesn't feel like anything really happened, and it's like we've this whole risk reward thing that was basically removed from our hands in a lot of scenario. And I think that's I where freaking hate a lot of like that's the worst part, a lot of the inner turmoil that I even personally had wasn't the fact that it's like, Oh, this virus doesn't exist. It exists. People died from it. End no one's story. disputing that. We, yeah. we, that's, that's it. And to say that it didn't have an effect, you know, would be completely stupid on its face, but it's like none of it was in our hands. And to this whole idea that, to remove liberty from the people because, okay, they're stup- too stupid to figure it out. It's like, that's not a solution. <laughs> and if that's Dude. going to be the continuing solution, it's simply unacceptable. And I'm so not willing to just give that up. 
there's this weird mentality where like again I'm a, I'm a total esports loser so if you don't mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about I'm sorry but the the finals for the North American League of Legends league was supposed to be held in Madison Square Garden I believe in New Jersey mm-hmm. and they just canceled it and said you know what due to the rise of the Delta variant we're not going to allow any fans in and I just thought why why don't you say hey there's a Delta variant going on if you want to come come yes if you don't then then don't take your like, own no, risk we the the people hosting the event for your safety will not let you come to the thing that you could voluntarily pay us to come to we'd rather you don't even I, pay us to show up it's like what why why do you think you I have hate to be the one to do exactly that? i hated how every company started saying your safety is our top priority it's like no it's not what mm-hmm. just give me a burger I just making, want a making, Shut up. <laughs> making a quality t-shirt is your top priority. I'm going to buy this from you, Old Navy. That's all I want from you. I don't want you to freaking paint some squares on the floor for me to stand on for six feet apart. Like, yeah. This, that is not your concern. It's my concern. Mm-hmm. And if it's, I'm so scared of the Delta variant that I will not go to a game, then I won't go. You don't need to say we won't let people watch this baseball game. Yeah. It's like, why? Yeah. Well, because the Delta variant. Well, what if I want to and I'm willing to take the risk? No. Yeah. So we've got... What? <laughs> we essentially have half the country who values their own personal safety above everything else and is okay with work. I'm kind of echoing what Mike Rowe said in the video. Mm-hmm. It's kind of okay with work like falling way down on the priority list. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a real shame. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic is a perfect example of of basically saying work is not important. You know, this is not important. Safety is our you're, top you're priority. You're not essential. You know, making sure this, people... This is not essential work you're doing. Yeah, that you're comfortable is is important. You know, you think about all the, the things that people were just allowed to do, and then just some people just, nope, sorry, just can't do that. It's like, well, that doesn't even... That it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's not even logical. Yes, yeah. one of Micro's lines that I heard years ago that I just love is the safety mm. third. And I right. I agree with that. I forget. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember what his first two bullet points are. But safety comes third, and it's the fact that we've just made safety the number one thing in all of life. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing I say about like women having a good career. The most important thing you could ever have is a good career. It's oh, like, my word. I just don't believe that safety is the most important thing. <sighs> I think courage is more important. I think honesty is more important than safety. Yeah. I would oh, well, take both of those things a million times before I'd say, well, the safe thing is to lie. It's like, well, then it's wrong because honesty is more important. But safety has become the number one thing. I'm, I'm going to go back to what you said because that infuriates me. <laughs> The, the lie that is sold to women that the most profitable thing and the best thing for their entire life is that they could have a good career is just, it is a blatant lie. It's like, who goes back and says, man, I wish I had done one more spreadsheet or I wish I had one had earned, you know, a hundred more dollars, you know? No, people are like, I want to be back with my family. Well, guess who makes families? Women, women. Do. You can't make a family greater than two people without women. It's impossible. They make all the people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every person ever was born from a woman. 
Yes. It's just sorry. Not someone identifying <laughs> not, as a woman. Not that there Woo. aren't women who have who are career driven and have great careers and they shouldn't have yes. the total opportunity to do so. Absolutely. It's the idea that every single girl in the whole culture should be pushed into that vein and not like, hey, being a mom's awesome. You know, you should get married and have a family because it's like mm. the greatest thing you can do. It's really amazing. That that's not equally pushed as have a career is infuriating. Man. Yeah. Anyway. I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah. I I was was talking about safety first. I I was going to bring us further into the weeds there, but I won't do it. So (laughs) I'm going to bring us back a little bit, um, kind of off more towards uh, what we were already talking about. But, you know, the way that we decide, you know, what our work will be is also kind of flawed. And it was started, you know, during the whole American dream is the beginning of where college is fundamentally the most important thing. And it's like, for some things, yes. I mean, we've already talked about this to some extent, but to say that you, that college is the end all and that this is the only linear path that you can take to victory is just, it's just a blatant lie. And actually, Mike Rowe has a fantastic quote on this, which I literally couldn't put any other way. So I just quoted him on it. (laughs) He goes... Um, there was a time where people who were happy in their work didn't start their quest for happiness by trying to identify the proximate cause of their bliss. And so instead of trying to decide what makes you happy before you even start looking or what you are meant to do, you just have to make a decision. I mean, like even Scott said, when he was talking about his career in uh, electrical engineering and you were like, I just picked a path. I'm going to college and electrical engineering sounds good. Let's go there, <laughs> you know? Right. I was not passionate about electrical engineering. And actually, I was planning on going into this topic for this discussion anyway. Um, because I, the reason I chose it was because I was kind of choosing the safe option. Mm-hmm. It's something our pastor was talking about in his sermon on Sunday. Um, he's talking about um, money, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked the question, which I've heard before, um, if money weren't an obstacle, what would you be doing with your time? What would you spend your time doing? Yeah, I was like, every time I that question is asked to me, I, I know exactly what the answer is. Mm-hmm. It'd be something music-related, making music, mixing music, producing, mastering, whatever. I just enjoy music. Yeah. Cuz I'm a creative dude and I <laughs> um so the the a big reason I chose engineering was because of the job market and because of the security that having a degree in electrical engineering offered me. Mm-hmm. Um I was not passionate about it in school and my GPA reflected that. Um as I <laughs> said in an earlier episode. But it's done episode. well for you. Uh it's paid off. I mm-hmm don't have student loans anymore and part of that was due to being a very fortunate person and being able to buy a house and sell a house and kind of use the profits to pay off my loans um Mm -hmm. but um i totally just blanked it's all good take your time (laughs) that was was (laughs) amazing what the tin cup does (laughs) i was rolling and then it just left me um do you want me to save you being electrical yeah choosing engineering paid off Mm-hmm. for me like i was able to pay my student loans off um and i mean i was able to land a, a good job a, a few good jobs i worked for this construction place mm-hmm. initially then i switched still still an electrical engineer 
but I switched into more circuit board design, which mm. was way more interesting. And I slowly kind of developed a passion for it. And it, it took, I said this in a previous episode too, took a couple of years for me to really develop that passion. And like, I was a pretty sucky employee in my first two years mm-hmm. um, at this, this RF company. Um, and then I'd slowly realized, wait, I might, I might be good at this after interacting with another employee who was not good at it. Um, I realized like I'm, I'm better at this than I was giving myself credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that, the, it's that pessimistic outlook, man, I know I'm such a freaking skeptic and cynic and all, all those negative things. Um, I, it's a strength and a weakness, I think. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I enjoy being an engineer now. Mm-hmm. Um, but going like it was just, it was yesterday where I, I, our pastor asked that question again. It was like, what, what would you be doing if money weren't an obstacle? I was like, it would not be engineering. Like yeah. on the list of things that I enjoy engineering is like 10th on my list. Like mm-hmm. I, cause I enjoy a lot of things. I, I could do this the rest of my life, but is that just the pursuit of security? Is that just me valuing safety above art, yeah. above putting art into my work? Um, I don't know. I, it probably is on some level. So I, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping this podcast takes off, kind of hoping um, some of the, the groundwork I've laid for like my studio will some someday take off. But, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and Mike Rowe kind of, he, he tells a similar story in the, in the video where on dirty, when he was hosting dirty jobs, he was, um, he was uh, an apprentice for a septic tank cleaner. And he's like, this guy quit his day job because he saw an opportunity um, like he saw a job that needed to be done is what he said. Mm-hmm. Someone needed to be cleaning septic tanks and he developed a passion for it and he got good at it after deciding to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he, you value doing the work that needs to be done over doing the secure thing. Yeah. Um, was the micro's big point there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. Jeff, I want you to be able to tell, kind of your story as well because you we all kind of have slightly different scenarios like i had no idea what i wanted to do i knew that i was going to be in a technical field and i knew that it was going to be hands-on and i knew i wasn't going to go to college to do it so there was a pretty small list there and i kind of got lucky because i mean i had some educated guess You know, I mean, I even took a year off between high school and college expressly for that reason was because I genuinely had no idea what I wanted to do. And I knew that I I (laughs) needed to figure it out before committing to something. Um, But I kind of got lucky because I ended up really being passionate about aviation and specifically working on planes. And there's so many aspects of it that I just, you know, I couldn't imagine really doing anything else. I know I have the ability to do a lot of other things, but like at this point in my life, I couldn't imagine being working anywhere else, honestly, or in any other field. And I think the other thing that is so dangerous about this particular plan, considering, you know, kind of what Scott went through is you decide, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then you spend thousands of thousands of dollars in order to be able to get the skills and get the, not even get the skills, but really get, get the, the piece, piece of, paper of paper that says, hey, this guy knows some stuff about this. You should probably hire him and he'll probably be able to figure it out. Okay, cool. Um, and then you're kind of stuck. I mean, like, Scott, you're kind of free in the sense that you've paid off your loans now. 
So that investment is in and you have, you know, you have the skills and you have a job and you're earning money there, but it's like, you're not really super locked in, but there's so many of these scenarios. Like even me, I haven't even paid off my student loans yet. It's like, I don't feel any sort of freedom to be able to go and do anything else. And this whole system that's set up so that, you know, you go to college, you take out a bunch of loans just so that you can do it. And then you have thousands of dollars of debt after the fact. It's like, there is no opportunity to get there and you go, oh, this is a terrible idea. Why the frick am I here? And then you're just stuck. <laughs> and right. how, like, how many people have that story? I mean, you figured Tons. it out. You found out how to be passionate about it. But, you know, it could have totally been a scenario. You're like, yeah, I've been doing this for six years. I still hate it. Absolutely <laughs> through and through. And I just want to be doing music. Yeah. Well, it's something, yeah, I'm like, oh, how many years have I been doing it? I graduated 2015. So... Six, this, this is my sixth this year. Is your sixth year. Uh, I kind of jumped industries after one year, but it's still, yeah. I'm I'm at the point where I'm like, kind of wondering, like, I'm at somewhat of a crossroads. Like, what what am I going to do for the rest yeah. of my life? Is is this it? Is this really what I'm called to be doing? Yeah. The quarter um, life crisis. Yeah. I'm, I'm 28. That's uh, that's about a quarter of the way to quarter of the way there. Let's hope it's a quarter of the way. Maybe a third. <laughs> Yeah, that's more like a third. You're right. <laughs> a quarter I mean, of the way. You're so medical old. technology <laughs> is really moving. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> Who knows? It might not even be a quarter. <laughs> yeah, which is um, crazy to think about. But sorry, <laughs> I, I asked our dad this question once because I had the same feeling where I kind of said at one point, "Is this really what I'm going to be doing for the next forty years mm-hmm. until I'm sixty-five? Yeah, really." It's like, oh gosh, that's such a long time and it sounds miserable. And the thing he said to me was, it, it really changes once you see the life you can build with the work that you do. And I definitely feel that where right. we've said this in the past, but you know, like what what would I not what would I not do? You know, how how much am I willing to go through for the sake of my family and my kids? Yeah, mm. I will literally work so hard and do what I need to in order to provide a life for my wife and children that is good. Yeah. And so the, like the, the passion for my work is something that kind of just comes as a secondary purpose. The first purpose is just to, to provide it's to be a father. It's to be a care, the caretaker of my family. Right. There's value from that angle but there's also value in being more present in your home so like i have a strong desire to be Mm self-employed kind of like our dad was and he was able to coach our sports and he could work whatever hours he wanted he was his own boss and Mm -hmm. i just loved that and i would so much i would would love to be able to do that Um, my dream is five years from now starting my own company that is that is actually my goal is in five years to be able to start my own contracting company. Hmm. Right. So two different ways to evaluate um, your work. It's like I'm I'm earning, like I'm, I owe 40 hours of my time every week to Mm -hmm. this group of people who are working together to create these random things. (laughs) Like for me, it's push to talks for radios and stuff. Um, 
but is that what's best for my family because I'm earning a good paycheck or mm-hmm. would it be better for my family if I were earning less but were around more, you know? Yeah. I mean, the guy that started a septic tank, a septic tank cleaning company, probably didn't do that exclusively because he loves septic tanks. Let's be real. Like, <laughs> no. There, there was definitely a money component to it. But the thing is, is that probably right. supported exactly what you're talking about, other things that are important in his life. I mean, like, family is an important thing. If I had the financial security to do something that six, if I worked six months out of the year, and I'm not talking like hours, I'm talking about six months worth of days, and the other six months I could just spend time with my family, a thousand percent I would totally do that because that is where my priority is. I don't I don't want to go and own, you know, a multi-million dollar company that's making all this money and that I have all this status. That's that's not where my passion lies. And so there are those people in the world, but the idea that everyone should be as passionate as the CEOs of the world is just kind of stupid. And some people are can see a problem or see a job that needs to be done and are willing to do it. Right. Yeah. I was reading I was reading last night in Genesis mm-hmm. uh, talking about uh, Isaiah, I believe. I think I get this wrong. I'm going to sound like I'm too okay, what? I'm talking about the Bible. I'm a little bit Isaiah? tipsy. So I'm trying to remember what chapter I read in which Genesis founding Isaiah. Father. I mean uh, Isaac. Isaac? <laughs> is Isaac not Isaiah? <laughs> I had to look it up. I had to pull up the Bible. <laughs> That's me way farther down. I'm getting this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's not working. Whoa. <laughs> Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob. That's the structure. We're good. We figured this yeah, out. Anyway, me. but Isaac was um, like the farmer of the patriarchs of the Jewish family. Okay. And one of the things that he did is he dug a bunch of wells for all mm. of his farms. And when he was doing this, one of the kings, his name is Gerar, um, or the, the king of the land of Gerar, comes yeah. over to him and says, hey, you're being very successful digging wells and farming. We should make a partnership between you and me. And they do. And then the Philistines come along and say, hey, you're being really successful. And they take a bunch of dirt and rocks and throw it in his wells so that they get dried up. And it's a little biblical story of there's kind of two ways to go about seeing other people's success. Yeah. There's the way of like, wow, good for you. That's really cool. We should work together. And then there's, grr, you are doing great and... Mm-hmm. The pouring rocks in your well. There's kind of these two reactions. And it's, it's an age-old... I mean, this is, you know, 5,000 years ago or whatever. It's an yeah. age-old thing, which is that when you see success, there's two ways to respond. There's, like, trying to mimic it, and there's trying to reject it. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally respect people who have this crazy work ethic. Like, I know my sister-in-law has a, a crazy work ethic. She works really hard and is very successful at it, and all credit to her. But I don't really want that. I'm not going to like badmouth people who do it and are very successful and have great careers. That's great for you. Mm-hmm. But my goal isn't to do that. My goal is to is to be my own boss and to run my own show and not have to be beholden to other people's demands on my life. Like example, I went over to our parents' house today just for dinner because my mom said she had a bunch of meat that she needed to cook and didn't have time to do it. So she's like, I'm making a monstrous dinner. You should come over and eat it. I was like, hey, say <laughs> okay. no more. 
But I get over there and our dad's on a call until 6.30 because there's something that needs to be done and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And he gets off the call and just walks out to the kitchen and goes, I cannot wait to be done with this company and to do my own thing. Because I hate that I'm beholden to this schedule that I can't break. I have to do this. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, it sounds horrid. I don't want that. I don't. I want to do my own thing and I don't. I want to be free from that stuff. And yeah, I mean, schedule is also very different from like a deadline. Like... Obviously, there's going to be deadlines in, you know, work where it's like you have to hit this point. But to have someone where is literally dictating what gets done when, like, (laughs) I could totally see how that would just be completely undesirable, especially in the industry that you live in. Yeah, because we work from home. So it's like, I'm already home. Mm -hmm. They're like, nah, you have to. This has to be working before you stop working. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's just miserable. Yeah. I just, I really think it's important, you know, that especially that we tell our children, you know, that they don't need to decide, you know, that they love something before they go and do it. You know, some of the greatest discoveries you can have is uncovering the thing that you love, you know, through the act purely of just doing. Right. Is just go out and do something. You might love it. You know? Hey, go, you go might, be you an might apprentice. Love being like, a waitress. That's what I love apprenticeship as a whole. Is literally like, hey, this isn't gonna cost you anything. You're gonna basically be like an intern, but it's a physical intern. You just I'm gonna tell you to do things, you're gonna do things, and then when we get to a point, I'll say, Hey, this is how this is done. Oh wow, cool. Like that's basically what I did when I was working for radioactive electronics. Like, okay, I could pull a wire, but I basically was like just a doer. But then they were also teaching me all these like extra skills that I still have today. I mean the number of surround sound systems and video installs that I've done for literally just people that I know of. I mean, even in our own house, when we lived in your house, Scott, mm-hmm. like that yeah. kind of stuff isn't like, I learned so much from that and it was literally, I got paid to do it essentially. And like, yeah. that's, that's it's, invaluable. It's the way I got into software because I, I didn't end up going mm-hmm. to college. I went for one year because I was, I was so socially encouraged slash forced to go to college when I graduated high school because I was smart <laughs> and it was the thing you're supposed to do mm-hmm. that I yeah, just did. Just so and I hated messed it. up. I did poorly and I dropped out and I I was only given a second chance because my dad had a coworker who was like, Hey, I heard your son. My dad had told him that I was struggling in college and mm-hmm. he had struggled in school horribly too. He only got into software because he was in the military and they kind of like got him through it. Yeah. And he said, Hey, you should send it to me. He can apprentice under me. Yeah. So I apprenticed under him and he taught me a bunch of stuff to the point where I was capable of being hired. And then I was hired. It's like yeah. no college. And I just had are. someone who was willing to teach me. Yeah. And I didn't love it at first, but my dad was like, this is the best opportunity you're going to get. Right. Well, so. And there are some degrees that you, uh, you really need to go to college to get some industries that you need a degree to really succeed in, but all, most of the industries, all these art-based ones, like you just need to do the art or you, mm-hmm. you just need to yeah. just do it. Just find, like, find a way to learn without spending thousands of dollars and going yeah. into debt to work in an industry that you'll never be able to earn enough to pay them off in. I feel like the best story of this was, sorry, what's his name? You're okay. Uh, J- Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. He was asked to come in and speak at a college at a college comedy course Oh, he walked I think in it's and he said, Steve, Steve Harvey. Stab me in the face. Oh, yeah, Steve Harvey? <laughs> yeah. And it was Harvey so it was like on, the worst thing on ever. his show. Yeah, it was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. It's Steve Harvey. Yeah. So Steve Harvey yeah. goes in and says, look, 
none of y'all got what it takes because you're here. Exactly. The people who That's have it, what it done. takes are the people who are doing it right now. There's yeah, no exactly. training for this. Yeah, what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> none of y'all have what it takes. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like all the service jobs, all the jobs where you're making something, production, you know, that's that's all stuff that you literally can only obtain by doing. Yeah. And you're only going to yep. be good by doing. And also, I feel like you're only going to truly be able to excel by just owning it and taking the training wheels off and going down the road and not having your dad hold up your seat anymore. You just got to freaking rip it on those two wheels because that's the only thing you can do. You know? And guess what? That's not very safe. No. But you got to do it. This is another like quote that they said during the video, which I just found very impactful. But there's literally a whole generation of kids that have been told happiness comes from what you do and not from who you are. And this whole idea that like, you mean you meet someone, you're like, oh, well, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm an aircraft mechanic. Oh, yeah, okay. That's, like, that's one of the first get to know you questions. That's not me. I'm not an aircraft mechanic. That's just what I do. Right. And I mean, think about the amount of, well, probably even just the mental health that has deteriorated over the idea that you are purely what you do. And let's say you fail at what that, that thing. Or let's say it's taken away from you because of lockdowns. Sure. <laughs> Now you've you have an entire generation who's told exactly of freaking depressed people. They're all <laughs> depressed because their entire existence, their identity is wrapped around this pure like singular thing. And it goes back into the whole idea that you you can only do one thing. It's like I'm not going to be I know I'm not going to be an aircraft mechanic my whole life. There's probably going to be a, quite a large portion that I am because I really genuinely do love it, but even now where I am, it's already morphing into something else. And I'm already seeing other areas in which I have even greater strengths than just turning a wrench. And it's like, I know I'm not going to just do this forever. And it doesn't define my identity. It's just simply what I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the first get to know you questions. Cause I, I think what you do has something to say about who you are, but it is not the only thing. Yeah. There's so, humans are so much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to choose to allocate all of your identity into one area is uh, not wise on your part, on on our part. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's something I've recently been kind of wrestling with in my own head. It's like I is I I really placed a lot more value into what I do than I was giving myself credit for because I was mm-hmm. thinking about it as I was like, wow, Kelsey, we had Davis and now she's like putting her career on hold. Mm-hmm. She's staying at home. I was like, geez, what if I had done that? Dang. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really, it kind of hit me of like how, how much of a, like how big of a move that is to just like how big of a move that would have been for me to yeah. just stop my career. It's like, I put so much time and effort into achieving the credentials to do what I do and uh, um, just learning everything that I know now. And it's a, it's a lot to, to leave behind. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's bad to ask people what they do. Cause it's something they spend 
you know, a roughly 40, 40 hours a week doing, it's a, yeah. it's a big portion of their life. Um, but how much so. more interesting of a conversation starter is, so like if I met you for the first time, say, all right, so tell me, who, who are you, Scott? Who are tell, you? tell me about you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And part of that, you would say, well, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm a musician. I don't even, that I'm, wouldn't be, wouldn't would, be the first thing I say. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be like the fifth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't know. It's just this whole idea that, you know, what you do is what makes you who you are, as opposed to you just being you a know, person. like you're your own person. And it's this, the, it's something that has been passed down. And if anything distilled, you know, with each, with each passing on to the next generation of people, it's been further down to still it's like, you're just what you are. And I feel like it is starting to go away. I feel like there is a lot more, you know, expectation with your own identity. And it's not just entirely derived from, you know, what you do, but there's, there's so many people, like you said, that are genuinely depressed because, I mean, their job was completely stripped away from them. I mean, right? Yeah. They, this they is were one told those, they're not essential. Even if yeah. you struggle with the idea of God and Jesus and those type of things, the, the perspective that the church brings of saying, hey, you are defined by God and not by yourself, mm-hmm. eliminates these type of problems. We say, look, my identity isn't in my labor. My identity is in who God made me to be and how much better this is just, Hey, look, we're in a time of difficulty. How much better is this outlook on life than the other? It is from my eyes, an objectively healthier place to be to say, look, things aren't going the way that I had hoped they would, but my identity isn't wrapped up in those things. My identity comes from outside of myself. So when my life sucks, my identity, identity doesn't change. And it's one of those, kind of worldview philosophical points that the that Christianity brings that is simply better than what other cultures are pushing out there right now. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something you'd said, Jeff, is that a uh, part of why the pandemic freaked everyone out so much is because we're so obsessed with ourselves. Well, yeah. <laughs> and we yes. saw, we saw our own existence being threatened <laughs> And because we placed our entire identity, our entire life's purpose was just became staying alive. It's it's our own safety. It's like, and it's it's this is another Mike Rowe quote from a, a different video that I saw. Yeah, a long time ago is uh, the he he stressed the point of like the the point of living is not to merely just stay alive. No. Like if that were your purpose, why would you ever leave the house? It's yeah. easy to just stay alive. You just live in a bubble. Like an order takeout. Like, yeah, don't 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 contract any germs. Don't ever force your immune system to confront any foreign bacteria. You know, it's but we don't do that. We take risks. We go out in the world. We risk driving in traffic. We risk flying in airplanes. We risk mm-hmm. contracting viruses. Like when we first got married, you know, Kelsey was a teacher, and I was I got sick all the time that winter. <laughs> Because she's yeah. carrying crap home to me mm-hmm. that I've never seen before. But she was <laughs> totally fine. She didn't get sick once yeah. because her immune system and all the students' immune systems were being bolstered by being around each other and mm-hmm. by um, contracting viruses and fighting them off mm-hmm. and getting stronger. And I consequently also got stronger. So I don't know. This I, I know COVID's a bad virus. 
and no one wants it. And but at the same time, you look at the statistics. And you're like, I'm not gonna die from this thing. It's just it I'm gonna suck horribly for a week. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the odds there, and I you need to give me that choice. I hate that the choice was removed from us. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's so, the biggest thing to me. That's, is the, that's the, the lack worst. of choice. Because we're being led by people who value living above, or being alive above actually living. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, life is life is not about the number of breaths you take. It's about the number of moments that take your breath away. Mm-hmm. Isn't that from Hitch? That's my favorite. I think so. I think Might it is. It is. I can picture Will Smith saying that. I can right? hear his voice yeah. saying yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an astute observation. It is. It really is. I would rather live 50 great years than 75 bad ones i mean think about some of the most the idea that you would miss so much of your life for the past year and a half so that you could live another year it's like well you missed a year you you're net negative in my (laughs) book we have family you're gaining we have family who we didn't see for almost a year and then i just heard Mm -hmm. the other night they're you know with the delta variant spreading they're like talking about maybe needing to take more precautions even though they're all vaccinated i'm like you uh, i didn't say anything Mm-hmm. But I was just like, man, what, what is it like to be that afraid? Seriously, I don't know. you guys yeah. are as old as I am. You know, you're not at risk. <laughs> I don't, I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, honestly, and I can totally speak for myself here, and I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but honestly, the moments that were the riskiest, the most dangerous, the the biggest, the closest to not living per se, <laughs> not the, not the closest to death, but like the highest chance of not living essentially. I felt the most alive in those moments, period across the board. I felt <laughs> like I did. I feel like I did years of living in seconds of yes. those moments. Mm-hmm. And it's like this whole idea that, you know, like if you stayed in a bubble and you just quarantined your life away, congratulations, you made it well done. <laughs> You are alive. Tell me what you got to show for it. You made a sourdough starter. <laughs> you fed a cactus. <laughs> like kept some succulents alive. <laughs> yeah, like like did you really live? Like truly? Like this is this is it? This is this is what you're satisfied with? This is going to be enough for you? It's I not missed for my me. best friend's wedding. I missed my cousin's wedding. But hey, oh, I'm man. still breathing. I was at a uh, I was at a what? wedding last last October, October 2020. Um, it was in Pennsylvania. The groom, one of my good friends from college, grew up in Connecticut. So some of his groomsmen were guys from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. One of them was so precautious, I'll use the that nice term, mm-hmm. of the virus that he stayed in Connecticut, missed all the bachelor party uh, goings on, drove to Pittsburgh the more, the day of the wedding, was there for the ceremony, drove back home to Connecticut once the ceremony was over. That's like eight Whoa. hours of driving. Whoa. Dr- drive eight hours, participate in a 20-minute ceremony, drive eight hours home. Man, at least that he was there. Absolutely <laughs> blows my mind. I cannot, my brain, like, it makes me angry because I cannot fathom doing that. Yeah. Just, uh, man. I mean, the hard <laughs> I had a thing. similar thing with... Uh, one of my buddy's weddings that I was in this past fall where he had a friend from California fly out mm-hmm. and he was like so mask heavy and just, uh, and then by the time the, the actual 
wedding happened and the party, like the party afterwards is happening, he was drinking a lot and his mask was down and he just kind of said to me, I haven't seen anything like this in forever. I was like, yeah, welcome to Ohio where, guess what? There's a room of 150 people who aren't scared of the virus. It's like, this is yeah. what it looks like. And guess yeah. what? He went home. He's fine. I've been, I went to four weddings last year. Four. Mm. Yeah. Like, I did everything wrong. I've, I've never said this to anyone, but I've, in my head, I've been thinking, I've pretty much been trying to get the virus the entire time. I've taken, pretty much, yes. I've only taken the precautions that have been forced upon me. I yeah. do not social distance when I don't have to. I don't wear a mask when I don't have to. I read the room and I do what the room's doing, essentially. If people aren't yes. wearing masks, I'm not wearing a mask. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I literally I got texted as I took a picture. I took, we took a picture, my wife and I, at the first wedding we went to in 2020. And someone replied to it, someone from our family. Although it's like a great place for a super spreader event. And I just wanted to reply, hey, guess what? Nobody from that wedding died or even Nothing got sick. Happened. So yeah. I don't know what yeah. to tell you. The outdoor wedding in June, no one got sick. Believe it or not, shocker, I know, to all virologists in the world. Yeah. But Well, uh, a quote that I heard from Joe Rogan, which I actually think is really astute, is that the reality is that the worst thing that has ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And it's hard to understand, you know, like genuinely, coronavirus could genuinely be the worst thing that's ever happened to somebody in their entire life. And it's like... That's kind of sad, honestly. But it's like, we are so comfortable. Yes. Like we are so comfortable and we're so used to regulations and companies and industry keeping us safe and protected. And it's just like, it's like, we can't even allow you to do it anymore. It's like, that is no longer an option. We have to protect you. You poor, stupid children. <laughs> it's like, that's yes. like the thought process almost. It's like, at least that's what I feel like I'm being told, you know? Yeah. Safety third, man. Oh, I'm man. So, well, I'm so down and for there the are people, safety third. Sorry, I have one last comment. Go for it. I think people see getting vaccinated as the way back to normalcy. And in my mind, I'm like, no, we should just be doing normal. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind of what, what we said. To, we're talking about the in the grief episode. There comes a point where you just need to start doing normal. You just gotta. Yeah. It's gotta never gonna feel on. great again. Yeah, but you just have to do it. The risk of contracting the virus is never going to be zero. Mm-hmm. The same thing with chickenpox and all these everything we've everything else we've vaccinated away. The risk is still not zero. Nope. So there, you just need to decide can, how much risk you're willing to live with and for me that was a year ago i mean measles was effectively it's pretty eliminated much May of last year <laughs> yeah like there's been multiple viruses that were completely like they were thought to be extinct until a bunch of anti-vaxxers were like yeah we're not gonna protect our kids and it literally came back <laughs> it's like yeah that's they're a reality alive. that's how that works <laughs> yeah they're um, alive they exist yeah we didn't just like eliminate virus it's no it yeah, it's out there in the world. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all that I, all that rant to say. Yeah. Sorry, I was, I was going <laughs> to no, try to wrap it up. No, you're fine. You're... Um, no, uh, another quote from the video that I think Mike really hit the nail on the head is he said, uh, "We're divided in just about every possible way on every possible thing, but work shouldn't be one of those things." And. I think that's super true. You know, you know, the conversation of what constitutes a good job, you know, 
is very important and what the effect of education as it pertains to that is super important you know this whole idea that some jobs are good jobs and other jobs are not good i mean literally my industry is a perfect example of that we are literally hemorrhaging mechanics at such a rate i get probably eight to 15 you know hey please come work for us in blank state every day like there's lists and lists like of jobs emails and, oh yeah emails yeah. Like wow. people are like, hey, please come work for us. We'll give you a 10,000 sign-on bonus and like all this like kind of like crazy stuff. And you're like, literally all of these industries in which service people existed, people that were willing to go and with their hands work on something, like really genuinely physically work on something is just, it's just lost. And the idea is that there's, there's only one way to do it. And it's, you know, take a bunch of money, go to college. <laughs> then try and get a job. And, you know, people are getting, you know, they're getting out of college and there's not even a single job out there for them. Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, especially now, I mean, there's the flip side of that where, you know, companies can't even hire people because the government's willing to pay them more than the company would could be well, exactly, possibly pay yeah. for them. <laughs> and it's like, this is not something that we should be divided on. Like, I, I we need posted to unite on this. A couple of months ago when there was this big debate about raising the minimum wage when Biden took office. Yeah. I posted, just as a warning, my parents own a small business. If you forced the minimum wage in Ohio to $15 an hour, they wouldn't be able to stay open. They would collapse. Or mom, And someone replied to it. Or mom would well, just that, be, that means your parents are a bad business people. It's like... No. What? what? I'm just suddenly, informing you about what's going to happen. <laughs> That mm -hmm. employees are like the most expensive part <laughs> of yeah. running a business and to suddenly increase that expense by 60% or what, I don't even know what the minimum wage is. In Ohio, it's like $8. Yeah. To double it. Double. essentially. Yeah. My goodness. That's crippling. You have to completely rethink your business. Like n businesses the aren't price just of magically gas literally go to $6. Exactly. Businesses aren't just magically able to pay their employees 15 bucks an hour. They have to upcharge everything else to yeah. be able to afford that. And it's also so short-sighted because it's this whole thought process of yeah, probably Walmart and Target yeah, Amazon. and Amazon could would probably lose, you know, a billion or two in profits, but you know they're already making another 222 billion a year, so what's a couple billion to give everybody a raise? So all you're going to do is kill small business. Exactly. The yeah. giant corporations can afford it. Yeah. And but, but just to to your point, to have something as basic as this, which is businesses should be allowed to decide how much they pay people. Mm -hmm. And to, to be divided over something like that, it's like, guys, come yeah. on. You can't. This is not the thing to fight over. This just isn't. This is not the space. Yeah. It's crazy. And- and specifically, and especially, you know, jobs as a whole. I mean, money is one thing, but literally just jobs, like the value of a good job, the value of doing good work, to have craftsmanship, to have pride in the work that you do is just, it's so important. And work is not something that we should be divided on and that it is immensely valuable and removing work from our lives, which is one of the points of conversation of, hey, let's just 
to give like the conversation of a basic universal income. It's like, that's something that's insane to me to a certain extent. And maybe, maybe my mind could be changed in some way on that, but like, that's a, a that's a crazy yeah. concept to me. It's, it's work is fundamental to our lives. It just is. And it's not, it's not work in the perspective of, I get a dollar or that it purely facilitates my life, but work as a life bringing thing. Yeah. Well, you think about what comes out of what kind of products or, well, I, yeah, I guess go products. <laughs> what kind of products come out of countries where work is valued? Mm-hmm. Like why is America the strongest economy in the world? Or I, I don't know if that's a true statement anymore, but I think um, China might be stronger these days. China might be stronger with this because they're kind of forced labor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you don't hear a lot coming out of Greece. Yep. Or, uh, you know, countries that are strong, very strongly socialists or, you know, it's, it's the countries where the government's not going to help you, where the, the people need to help themselves, where mm-hmm. the best, the most ingenuity, um, the most creativity is born, um, is really I was gonna say, nurtured. To your earlier statement of what would I do if I didn't have to work, if I could do anything? And yeah. I was like, dude, thank God I don't live in a society like that. Because me, my flaws that I have, if I didn't have to work, I wouldn't. I yeah. would blow away my time yeah. golfing, playing video games, drinking, <sighs> eating. I would do nothing if I didn't have so, to work. Kelsey's, thank God I have to. Because it forced me to be creative and to work hard and be disciplined. Right. Yeah. My wife's cousin was an assistant golf pro in Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. And he was laid off because of the pandemic. And the he told me, I just played golf with him a couple weeks ago because he was visiting. He's been unemployed for over a year. And the unemployment check he was receiving from the state of Washington, he moved back to St. Louis, where he's from. And he, he didn't tell me that what the number was, but he said it's a ridiculous amount that he's been getting from the government. So he's he's been playing. California he said he's made logged more money over. money than me unemployed as an 18-year-old <laughs> or 20-year-old. Yeah, but he told me he's logged over 100 rounds of golf this year. He just plays all the time. Oh. It's like, dude, I don't know if I, I honestly don't know if I would do anything different in your shoes. Like, yeah. seriously. It's it's a wonderful idea that if you didn't have to work, we'd all be artists and we'd be painting and we'd be making beauty. It's like a some, lot of us some would of just us would. do nothing. A whole lot of us that would otherwise mm-hmm. be forced into creativity, forced into work, would just do nothing. But the fact that yeah. I have to work meant that I came up with new systems for our workplace. I trained people on how to do our job better. I thought of new processes and stuff. And it's like, I was forced to do it because I have to work. There's no option. Yeah. If not, yeah. I would have farted away four years of my life doing nothing, which I might have enjoyed. But <laughs> Yeah, but then you got a family waiting on you. And, yeah. and there's a part of me that would not be able to stand not being the one providing for my family either. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't live with myself if I were just living off the government. Like, yeah, we're don't worry. Big, big brothers got us. Mm-hmm. It's very paternal of you. Yeah. Well, I think we hit all of our talking points. We've been going. I've said me. everything I want to say. Said, said my piece. I, I require <laughs> oh, I've a piece. Said my piece. I've had to pee for 30 minutes and you keep talking. <laughs> We've been going for one hour <laughs> and 22 minutes. Ah, uh, glorious. <laughs> 
when we planned this podcast, we had a goal of our episodes being thirty minutes long. Thirty minutes. Long. <laughs> Turns Oops. out we like to talk, everybody. We can't shut up. <laughs> so it starts out when we all start drinking. We kind of just ramble. Bunch of yapaholics. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I lose my train of thought mid thought. <laughs> which is amazing it's just like the track just I, disappears i don't know how i did Go that <laughs> it's like i was i had the complete thought in my head and then all of a sudden whoop gone uh, it's entirely. magic yeah it's magic so uh that's all we got for this episode hope you enjoyed if you're still listening i wish i said this at the beginning because i don't know how many people are still listening um but we're on instagram mm-hmm. we're on facebook dad's diapers drinks is the uh the user that you need to search for on both of those platforms. And then we have an email address, dadsdiapersdrinks at gmail.com. So uh, contact us there. Um, mm-hmm. If you well, liked what you heard, give us five stars. Please give us five stars. Leave us a review. You know, all the things every other podcast asks you to do. And uh, Jeff is, what are you doing? He's, he's going to do the thing. Oh, you're about to hear the thing. Can you, can you be more awkward about our outro? <laughs> Sorry. <Jeez. laughs> um, also, okay. we didn't talk. <laughs> you are like the guy you? who does the thing. <laughs> I was signaling to Nathan to get the glasses to do oh, the thing. And he was oh, like, <laughs> pointing at me. All right. We're leaving all this in, by the way. Always. <laughs> all right. That's it for this week. Catch you next week. Bye. See ya.